Hi there, my name is Grace McCall and I'm one of the consultant paediatric nephrologists working here in Royal Belfast Hospital for Sick Children and I'm going to talk to you today about paediatric acute kidney injury. So just an overview of the talk, I'm going to talk to you about the background of AKI, its definition, pathophysiology, using the case to talk through principles of history, investigations and management, AKI outcomes and follow-up and why is it important. So firstly, what is AKI? Um, so it's the reversible loss of normal renal function and it's recognised by a reduction in urine output and an increase in serum creatinine. And that results in a, a reduction in your glomerulification rate and will affect regulation of fluid, acid-base balance and electrolyte balance. The reversible element of that is arguable and I'll highlight why that is later in the as uh, that aspect of this talk. Um, chronic sequelae is under-recognised um, from the point of view of AKI. It was traditionally very much thought to be uh, entirely reversible, however emerging evidence um, challenges this and supports a strong link between AKI and chronic kidney disease. So looking at the incidence and mortality associated with AKI, so the largest study was in North America and that looked um, and found that there was a markedly higher mortality rate associated with AKI and that's really the largest study that there is in place. Um, more locally there was a study in Royal Manchester Children's Hospital look, um, in their PICU looked at the time between the relationship between AKI and AKI biomarkers um, actually, and that identified that 49% of their children had an episode of AKI which is fairly significant. And more recently, um, there was a study carried out through the British Association of Paediatric Nephrology, and that was over six centres looking at serum creatinine values. So they had over 57,000 um, um, creatinine values, and they found that there was a 10.8% instance of AKI. However, only 27% of these episodes were recognised, and there was failings in very basic things such as daily weight urinalysis, um, things that are simple and that we could very much improve on. And this again is just to highlight an observational study from America looking, comparing, um, they looked at and compared the different definitions of AKI um, and they very clearly identified it was associated with a greater mortality and length of stay both in ICU and um, outside of the ICU setting. So where did this all come from from the AKI perspective? So there is a sort of a seminal um, report, so the NC pod report of 2009 there was a marker for change with regard to acute kidney injury. It was done in the UK and up to 100,000 deaths each year in hospital were associated with AKI. Up to 30% of those could have been prevented with right care and treatment. These findings from the report showed systematic failings in adult AKI and recognised that changes in practice needed to be made to improve our patient care. Um, this led to an NHS patient safety alert, as you can see in the centre. And that led on to Think Kidneys, which I'm sure some of you are aware of, that was produced in 2015. And that was a national NHS campaign to improve the care of people at risk of AKI, <coughs> including paediatrics. And this is just that document um, and the BIPN flow diagram for AKI that was developed um, by rep representatives for the paediatric renal units. And the output was a consensus document highlighting children at risk of developing AKI, advice regarding investigation, management and tertiary service referral criteria. So thinking again about the definition of it, so there has been variable attempts to do this um, over the years. Um, Primarily, rifle was very much adult-driven, so risk, injury, failure, loss, and end-stage disease. 
<clears throat> and this was carried out in 2004 by the Acute Dialysis Quality Initiative um, Development Group. That led on to paediatric rifle, so P-rifle, um, and that looked more at um, changes in glomerular filtration rate rather than just serum creatinine alone. And then more recently in 2012, Kodigo, um took that forward and they amended the definition with regard to changes in serum creatinine and both your urine output, looking at those children who didn't have previous blood results um, with specific upper limit reference ranges. And again, that's just to highlight the different ways in which it's been classified, and Godigo tends to be the one that's um, more recently used in literature, um, which is the one that I have circled. And again, that's just a slide to show um, the, the, the definition as per Godigo, stages one, two, and three, three being the most severe, um, one being less so, and that um, table of agreed age-related intervals. So that child that comes into hospital who's never been in before um, gives you an idea of what their creatinine should be. And, and that's also in the think kidneys. So if you're looking for a reference point, it is there. So the limitations of this, so um, diagnosis of AKI um, in children um, is caused by variable, um, for variable reasons, and it's not distinguished in the classification. Um, diagnosis is just relied upon from a creatinine and a urine output perspective, but serum creatinine is affected by a number of different factors, such as sex, muscle mass, age, metabolic state, and it gen generally it's a poor biomarker. So, a big point that I want you to remember is that creatinine levels only rise once you've lost 25 to 50% of your renal function. So there are other biomarkers out there um, which are beyond the scope of this court today, um, but are certainly um, a research point for future. Um, looking at it um, onwards, um, the measurement of urine output, very difficult in children. People do struggle with that, so it's a problem. But despite these limitations, Estimation of serum creatinine and urine output are the most practical way in which we can define AKI at this current time. Pathophysiology then, so this is just uh, a table to try and talk that through with you. So you get a primary insult that causes acute tubular damage and it's accompanied by a loss of the ability to reabsorb filtered solute. This resulting vasoconstriction in an attempt to improve the GFR can perpetuate further renal damage such as obstruction and inflammatory processes. And this is a table really to look at the, at the etiology of AKI um, and it can be classified and I've tried to classify it into th three different sections. So functional leading to reduced blood flow, intrinsic or obstructive. Um, and this um, is important um, for a number of reasons and, and important to highlight that AKI secondary to hypovolemic dehydration is the most common cause worldwide. So just try and work through that table and see where it is you think that your child fits in um, and go from there. So talking through a case then, um, so this is a four-year-old girl. Um, she had a three-day history of vomiting and diarrhea. Um, she had a history of temperatures at home, limited oral intake, parents unable to quantify as um, is so regularly the case when you see these children, and a decreased urine output. Again, couldn't quite put their finger on when um, she had last um, passed urine. Looking at her past medical history, so she had a history of congenital cardiomyopathy um, she had a cardiac transplant in July 2016. As a young child, she had recurrent urinary tract infections. This culminated in an E. coli sepsis, age two years of age, and at that time she had a documented AKI. Um, this led on um, to her to develop CKD stage three, probably partly from a transplant perspective, but also because of insults to the kidney, and she also had hypertension. 
Looking at her medication history, she was on tacrolimus, alpha-calcitol, cotrimoxidol, atenolol, sodium bicarb, citron and abidec. And just to particularly focus your minds in there on the tacrolimus um, with regard to her medication history. So history is really important um, from the point of view of AKI and it's, it's important that you do take the time to do that. So think about the fluid intake. Has there been a, re- has there been a reduction? What about their urine? Um, again, is there a, a query about obstruction? Um, and is it concentrated? Is there blood in it? Um, temperature, you're thinking about insensible losses. So if you've got GI losses plus temperature, um, you must think that actually that leaves them, renders them at higher risk of dehydration. Um, Normal, your normal history points as you always would, um, but really focused in on that medication history. So nephrotoxics, have they had um, neurofen for their temperature rather than just paracetamol alone? And always think outside the box from a systematic point of view, is there something else more unusual going on here? So do you think about rashes and joint pain and recent tonsillitis and that side of things? It's important to consider that children who are dependent on others for fluid intake can also be at increased risk of AKI. Um, non-ambulatory children and those with a low muscle mass will have a lower baseline creatinine and that may mask their creatinine rise if not compared with baseline levels. So don't just um, look at the warning scores on your lab system, look at the trend. Um, there are several high-risk scenarios for AKI along with specific underlying medical conditions that render children at risk of AKI and they're in this table and again they're within the Think Kidneys document. A thorough drug history, as I've already said, is really, really important and consideration of potential nephrotoxic medications must be undertaken. And this table highlights um, common agents that may need to be stopped, may need to be dose reduced or monitored very carefully. Um, It's not an exhaustive list, but one that I find can be helpful just in your general daily practice. Um, In the setting of AKI, your nephrotoxin medications should be stopped if you can, and if you cannot, undergo dose reduction in line with their estimated glomerular filtration rate. And this needs to be re-evaluated as their renal function changes. So if your EGFR gets worse, you may need to readjust those doses again. If it gets better, you may be able to relax it slightly. So back to our case, so this little girl, she was tachycardic, her rests were fine, her stats were fine, but she was also hypotensive with a blood pressure of 88 over 56. Normally sits with a blood pressure of 120 to 130. Of note, her weight was down a kilo from her recent clinic appointment, and that is important. Um, If you can get a previous weight, that's very useful. Um, she was lethargic but rousable. She did appear to be dry um, on um, clinical documentation, so dry mucous membranes, not, not edematous but cool peripherally and had a cap refill of in and around three seconds. Thermal pulses were present. She had good air entry. Her tummy was nice and soft. No other rashes, meningism or anything of concern. And her initial gas there, as you can see it, she had a metabolic acidosis um, and of note her BM was 2.2. So, How do we assess these children with AKI? Attend to their life-threatening features first. So think about your ABCDE approach, so oxygenation, fluid status, and electrolyte derangement. Evaluation of fluid status is essential to clinically determine if they are hypovolemic, euvolemic, or hypervolemic. Make an attempt at that. It is difficult, and I fully appreciate that, but do make an attempt. It makes it easier for people coming behind you to see if your changes have been effective. Your blood pressure should be performed manually on an upper limb. You may need to consider doing a Doppler blood pressure if you've got a smaller child or a baby for a more accurate reading. A height measurement um, when working out your blood pressure centiles is needed. However, I appreciate that if a child is very sick, this may not always be possible. 
So clinical features consistent with fluid state, okay. So um, I've tried to split this up again into three sections and make it easy for people to go through and try and make that assessment. And this is all things that you will already know, but it's just to try and qu quantify that for you um, in a succinct way. So looking at your, your child with a dry mucous membrane, sunken eyes, prolonged cap refill, um, this, our child, very much fits into that picture of being hypovolemic. In that situation, you're wanting to think about giving a fluid bolus of 10 to 20 mils per kilo, either of 0.9% saline or plasmite, depending on your local um, fluid guidelines. For those children that don't quite fit into either hypovolemia or um, hypervolemia, you may feel they are euvolemic, but they can still undergo a fluid challenge, which will still can be between 10 to 20 mils per kilo, but maybe given over a slower space of time, such as 60 minutes, to see how they respond to that. Does it improve their observations or does it improve their urine output? And then there are the children that are hypervolemic. Um, so thinking about those that are tachycardic, hypertensive, raised JVPs, difficult in children but can be present, gallop rhythm, edema or a palpable liver. Um, be, have to be more judicious with your fluid in that situation. Um, they, you can certainly give an IV um, frismide challenge to see if it is effective. Um, but these, can, these children are the ones that do run into difficulty quicker. So do consider um, referral to ICU um, or consideration for renal replacement therapy at an earlier stage. So for our young lady, she had 40 mils per kilo of sodium chloride. Systolic blood pressure remained low despite that at less than 100. Um, she had a 10% dextrose bolus in light of her BM. And we decided from a fluid perspective that she was, um, she was dehydrated. So therefore she had a 10% deficit. She was catheterized um, and put, placed in a strict fluid balance. At the time when she came into the emergency department, she was felt to be very drowsy and she was commenced on Tazacin and acyclovir. And I, I raise that from an acyclovir perspective because that is a drug that is very, very much documented to have issues with exacerbating AKI. So be careful um, if you think that a child is in, uh, has encephalitis and you need to treat them, that's, that's fine, but make sure you renal dose adjusted and make sure you review that on a regular basis. And we can see for her initial results there that her creatinine was up at 171 with her baseline being 80. So a marked increase in her creatinine. Um, her potassium was okay. Um, her chloride was low. Her bicarb was low. Um, her coag was slightly off. And importantly, just to mention her TAC level, so it was 4.8. It wasn't high. That's acceptable um, from a cardiac transplant and a renal transplant perspective. But always think about it um, in, in these children. That gave her an EGFR of 21 mils per minute. And if you put that in perspective, you're thinking about dialysis when you have an EGFR of 15 and below. So a marked decrease. AKI investigations. Um, so clinical history and biochemical investigations along with renal ultrasound are helpful in determining the cause of AKI. And this table is just a way, I know it's a busy slide, but it demonstrates initial investigations that should be performed in all these patients. And further investigations are then warranted dependent on the suspected diagnosis. If you're concerned, discuss it with your local paediatric nephrologist. Um, just to highlight a few things, urinalysis is a really easy, quick test and done poorly. Please do it. Um, please send off urine for a protein creatinine ratio. First thing in the morning is the most reliable and it gives us a good idea of losses from the kidney from a protein perspective and that's very helpful in looking at trends. Um, the other thing, 
to look at, um, a lot of people ask, is how do you work out their EGFR? So that's normally their height, um, it's multiplied by a K factor. So here we use 40, other places do use a different K factor, so just go in line with your local policy and you divide that then by your creatinine and that will give you your EGFR. Um, looking at renal ultrasound, it's an important modality and should be performed in certain circumstances. So within six hours, if you think there is a, a concern regarding regarding um, a pyelonephrosis, pyelonephritis, um, or a renal vein thrombosis. And within 24 hours, if you cannot identify a cause for AKI or you think there is an obstruction, really, if there's an obstruction, I would like it sooner than 24 hours, but that, that's the current guidelines as per Codigo. Um, if you ultrasound during an AKI episode, you will find the kidneys are large and bright. Um, a renal biopsy can be considered in those children who have nephrotic or nephritic presentations and if they're rapidly and um, their renal function is rapidly deteriorating and we do not know why. So this is just a nice diagram to sort of show you that until recently um, progress in characterising events that follow an AKI insult have been hampered by a lack of a consensus definition of progression and its associated events. Um, and following recognising this, um, a working group again, the Acute Dialysis Quality Initiative, sought to clarify these concepts and they identified a clinical course of AKI and conceptualised it in events that followed an acute insult to the kidney. And there's three phases. So the first one is the development phase and that represents the immediate effects of the initial insult, insult which may be subclinical. The extension phase then ensues and that is in a, a a point where both injury from the kidney and repair mechanisms are, com are competing against each other. And then you have the resolution phase that represents the net outcome of both damage and repair. And the duration of each of these phases may vary considerably from child to child, dependent on the nature of the kidney insult and the repair processes. So I'm just going to try and um, talk you through these. So. Um, thinking about optimising kidney perfusion, minimising iatrogenic insults, control your acid-base balance and electrolyte abnormalities and optimise your new drainage. And I'll just talk through each of these separately. So these interventions should target removal of kidney insults and optimise conditions that then facilitate your adaptive repair processes. So optimising um, fluid um, and kidney perfusion. So fluid resuscitation we've already talked about. Um, Fluid-wise, we would prefer that they have um, ongoing fluids or feeds given orally or NG, and if that's not possible, then IV fluids are fine, but do switch them over as soon as you feel that is appropriate. Um, strict fluid balance and daily weights um, are essential. I can't emphasise that enough. It's very helpful, um, particularly if you are in liaison with a nephrologist, they will want that. Um, initial fluid review should be carried out within six, six hours of admission and assess that regularly thereafter. Fluid regimes adjust them on clinical response and subsequent electrolyte results. Maintain your blood pressure. Um, so for this little girl, we held her atenolol. Um, that was in liaison with cardiology. Um, be wary of stopping those kind of drugs um, unless you've spoken directly to their cardiologist, particularly in a cardiac transplant patient. Um, echo can be useful, and it was with her, um, and she still managed to have good um, function um, despite being um, hypotensive and dry. Just of note, with regard to blood pressure, there is no evidence to support renal dose dopamine. That was uh, an old, um, uh, an older um, practice, but that, that is not the case anymore. And fluid management then, so again, looking at your stage one um, AKIs, 
they really can have maintenance fluids plus deficit if you think that's necessary. Um, stage two and three do tend to run into more issues and are slightly more complicated. Um, once you feel that you have filled them up and adequately resuscitated them, and if you're still struggling from a urinary perspective, it is wise to replace um, insensible losses, so 400 mils per meter squared per day, plus mil for mil of what they are paying out, and that should keep them safe and should stop them becoming fluid overloaded. Um, fluid deficit can also be given in stage two and three, but carefully and needs to be reviewed um, regularly. And then when you come to the renal recovery stage, you do find that these children become polyuric. Um, so looking at those, if you find that there's four mils per kilo per hour of a urine output, you should be replacing that volume that's above that, um, either with IV fluids or oral fluids. And that's trying to prevent them from having a secondary injury from an AKI perspective. Minimising your atrogenic um, insults. I've already talked about this from a drug history perspective. Um, renal dose adjust your medications as per GFR. Stop nephrotoxic potential where able. Um, she was commenced in Tadzinocyclovir. Was it necessary? She did not end up having encephalitis. Um, she was drowsy, more likely so because she was hypotensive and hypovolemic. So always do think about it. Um, tack levels, so just so that you know, tack levels do tend to go up with diarrhea. Um, so they do need closely monitored and you may need a, a dose reduction in your tacrolimus level, but that can be led uh, also by the transplant centres. Cotramoxazole for her, just to flag that up as well, it is associated with tubulo interstitial nephritis, so she may have had something more unusual. Um, so again, have a think about it. And a tenolol, think about your, your antihypertensives. The big antihypertensives that we do worry about are ACE inhibitors and ARB, um, as they should definitely be stopped if they are having um, GI losses. Um, because they have a very high risk of causing AKI and should be restarted once they are better. And all of those children should have sick day rules with regard to those therapies if they're on them. Controlling acid base and electrolyte abnormalities. So address hyperkalemia. Okay, I'm not going to go through that. That's, that's as per APLS um, and, and we would stick with that. Um, severe acidosis compromises adaptive repair. Um, so correct it where able. Giving sodium bicarbonate is fine, but you must ensure that your calcium is normal. And a quick way of doing this, if you have a gas in the ED department, if your ionized calcium is greater than one, that's good. Um, but do not give bicarbonate if it is. You must replace your calcium first before giving bicarbonate. Um, you may require electrolyte supplementation, particularly during the polyuric phase. So they may need um, sodium, potassium, and magnesium and phosphate. So do keep an eye on those um, elements. Optimising urine drainage, so this is important if you suspect a congenital abnormality of the kidney or urinary tract, that's what CACUT stands for. Um, so those young babies that come in, it's a baby boy who is a missed and posterior urethral valves. Catheterise them if you deem it is appropriate. If obstruction is suspected, get an urgent renal ultrasound. Um, the guidance is 24 hours. If you can get before that, that's great. Um, and then you can try and remove and treat that obstruction and use your urologists. Um, they will be able to help you with that. Delay in this compromise is again adaptive repair. Those children that come in with a high potassium and a low sodium, think about them from a destructive pr perspective. They may well have pseudo-hypoaldosteronism and once you relieve that obstruction, that should resolve. 
when do we want to know about them from a nephrology perspective? So as I've already mentioned, uh, CKD um, we, and previous renal transplant, they are, um, they are at risk. Um, so we do want to know about them. AKI associated with multi-system disease, if they're hyperclemic on response to metal management, if they're aneuric or oloanuric and their plasma sodium is less than 125, pulmonary edema, hypertension on response to diuretics, if their urea is greater than 40, so uremic um, children become unwell, they do not want to take fluids, they will not take solids for you um, and they will progressively um, become more lethargic. If they have a glomerulonephritis with a nephrotic range urine protein creatinine ratio, so anything over 200 from a urine protein creatinine ratio is nephrotic range, um, we would want to know about that. And stage 3 AKI, definitely. Stage 2, very happy to also have a discussion about those children. And then moving on to renal replacement therapy. So this is an entirely different talk in itself, but really I'm just going to talk briefly through the indications for this. So again, hyperkalemia, um, volume overload, metabolic acidosis that is refractory to medical management, symptomatic uremia, if they are aneuric and you're struggling with regard to nutrition and volume or, and or toxin removal. So um, it can be very helpful. Brain replacement options. So if you're in the PICU setting, um, CVVH is the one I think that pe most people would opt for. Um, it's a gentle um, form of um, renal replacement therapy. PD can be used in the acute setting and we would use it very regularly, but it does take time to optimize it um, to good levels and does um, require no leakage of the catheter. So um, it is an option, but it, it can be difficult to establish. Hemodialysis and HDF, they are forms of renal replacement therapy, difficult and would not use those in children who are very unwell and unstable from a clinical perspective as they cause large fluid shifts and electrolyte shifts. So CVVH would be a, a better option for them. So progress for our child, so her creatinine peaked at um, 220. Um, she did not require um, inotropic support. Um, she did not need filtered and she did not need ventilated. And that was because of careful fluid management from the outset. Um, she completed five days of Tadesin. Her acyclovir was stopped in day two. All of her cultures were ne negative, including her virology. So again, thinking back to that acyclovir, was it needed? Um, her blood film at the time, she had low neutrophils, it was all reactive and felt very much to be related to her concurrent illness. She was discharged from PICU on day four. Um, she did have a phase of polyuria, um, which was ongoing, and GI losses, but they settled by day six. And she now has a minimum fluid target of 1,400 mils a day. And that is a strict care plan for her and very strict parameters for parents about when they must seek medical attention and she was discharged on day 10. Subsequently, unfortunately, her CKD has become worse due to this hit, and she's now sitting with a CKD stage 3B and 4, really just highlighting again how important it is to manage these children well. Um, and unfortunately, um, she is on a number of supplements now, including EPO, because of her CKD, and she's got progressive bone disease. AKI outcome. So why is this important? Why why am I talking to you about this today? Um, so this was a, a, a good study done in Israel. Um, so it was looking at Israeli adolescents who were examined before compulsory military service and their data were linked to the end stage renal disease registry within Israel. 
Um, and anybody that was coming through that had a kidney disease in childhood, um, either cacket, um, pyelonephritis, glomerular disease, um, were all looked at and they all had normal renal function and no hypertension in their adolescent um, years. However, in their adult years, there was a significant increase in end-stage renal disease that really suggests that kidney injury or structural abnormality in children has got long-term consequences. And these are just um, some other studies. Um, again, this was an American study um, that really identified that chronic, chronic sequelae of AKI is under-recognised. Um, a third of 176 children um, who were looked after in this centre um, in, in both the PICU setting and the ward setting had reduced kidney function or remained on dialysis at the time of discharge. And on a three to five year follow-up of the cohort, um, 58% had long-term effects, including hyperfiltration, reduced kidney function, hypertension, and proteinuria. And the second study is just, again, it was 126 children um, treated in an intensive care, and 10% of them had CKD um, within one to three years following an AKI. So again, compelling evidence that we do need to take this seriously um, moving forwards. From a follow-up perspective, um, stage two and three AKI should be followed up um, at six weeks, three, six, and 12 months. Um, at that clinic review, um, I would expect a manual blood pressure, um, their bloods to be checked, and their urine to be dipped, and their urine sent off for a protein creatinine ratio. So basics, nothing complex, but it will identify those children who are running into trouble. All children who have required dialysis, including those who have CVVH, or who have persisting proteinuria or renal dysfunction at three months of follow-up should be referred to a tertiary nephrologist or spin paediatric nephrology. So in summary, AKI is associated with increased mortality and long-term CKD, and I hope I have convinced you of that today. Um, early recognition is paramount. Um, creatinine only rises in 25 to 50% of renal function. So taking that good history and looking at your drug history and seek, getting the families to seek medical attention um, early is important. There is a role for biomarkers um, and future studies will um, evaluate those um, further. Volume resuscitation and fluid management is key. Um, and, and a very important um, cornerstone of your management. Identifying um, potential nephrotoxic agents and ensuring real dose adjustments are made where appropriate. And all patients with, with um, AKI stage two or three require long-term follow-up to mitigate progression to CKD. I just like to acknowledge my department here um, and I'm very happy to take any questions that you have. Thank you.